Welcome to the Free Thinker Society podcast. I'm like, want to rant, I think, about, about conspiracy theorists and fuck that term and explain how the CIA coined that term. And I said, you know, we're, we're free thinkers. And as soon as the episode was over, Sam called me. He's like, you need to start a show called The Free Thinker Society with Mike Romanelli. What is going on, my freaks, geeks, and free thinkers? This is Mike Romanelli with season two of the Free Thinker Society. Season two, episode one. Technically, I guess it would be episode number sixty-five, but we're starting season two. We got a whole new, uh, whole new season. We're going to call it of Free Thinker Societies. I'm very excited to announce that I got my buddy Mark Steves in the house. Mark is going to sit with me through this podcast and probably going to be staying here for a while. What's up, Mark? Thank you for having me, man. I couldn't be happier. I'm glad you chose me. It's a, it's a cool seat to be in. I'm not in the studio today, but I think the the plan is to do this in the studio moving forward. So that'll be a lot of fun, you know. I, and it'd be cool to even get some some guests in studio as well, you know, whether it be dojo comics or authors like Bruce DeTorris and whoever else is in the East Coast area that wants to come in for a studio interview. And of course, enjoy the hospitality of TIFFs. Absolutely, man. And I'm, I'm really excited uh, for our plans. Well, we could go over them a little bit so the listeners can hear what's going on. I do want to apologize to the Freethinker listeners, the family out there. You know, it's been, we just did a remodel at the Dojo of Comedy out here in Jersey. And we were closed for about a couple of weeks. And, you know, most of you guys know that, listen, you know, I do this, uh, this is a labor of love. And uh, it's been really busy and hectic at the Dojo. We're finally pretty much back up and running. Place looks great. Bunch of suggestions Sam Tripoli had over the years. We finally put them in place. The the room looks like a club now, not so much like a Sopranos, uh, but it used to look like, like a Sopranos, like dining hall type place where they'd have a wedding, but it looks a lot more like a comedy club. We're still in the process, but we're still have, we're, we're, we're starting to finally have shows. So I've been a little MIA and I apologize guys. There's a couple episodes that I didn't publish and hopefully we'll figure out how to get them off the hard drive. I'm not the most tech savvy, but I got Mark helping me out now and I'm excited to get back at it. I've been uh, a guest on a few podcasts. If you guys want to check those out, last night I was on uh, the 100th episode of We The People Radio. I dropped in for about an hour. Uh, That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then uh, I was on this really interesting podcast. Uh, I'm going to post it soon. Uh, It was called 13 Questions. I highly recommend you guys listen to it. You can learn a lot about me. We got real in-depth, talked about shit that I've never talked about on air before. I like those guys a lot. Uh, I'm going to plan on having them on the podcast as well. But that was an awesome episode. I think, I believe it dropped Monday. So if you guys want to check that out, that's what I've been doing. Mark is working really hard on getting some amazing guests lined up for us guys. And like Mark said, yeah, we're going to do a lot more stuff in studio. We also have a couple of podcasts that are going to get launched out of here. That's going to be really cool too. A bunch of local comics have different, different types of podcasts that they're going to start recording out of here. Super excited about that. Yeah. So Mark's going to come up once a month, maybe twice a month. And we're going to do in studio, have some bunch of guests. I have tons of guests that I didn't even talk to you about yet, Mark, that I'm so excited for. Shit, I guess I'll just say it now, but Martin Moreno, I don't know if anyone's familiar with him. One of my favorite comics, I'll never forget the day, we'll never forget the day when my I got an Instagram message. This is early on in the comedy career, probably my first year in, and I got an Instagram message. I was at my kid's karate, looked down, I'm like, I, 
this guy kind of looks familiar. I click on him and I see how many followers and he's saying he wants to play the dojo. And I'm like, Whoa. And then I realized, Oh, I know who this guy is. It's the guy that warms up for fluffy for 20 years. And I, I was shocked that he wanted to come out to the dojo, but I guess, you know, this is like the early, early days of when Sam just got back from California talking about this place and Martin hit me up and we become very close friends. Unfortunately, we've booked him like three times in the last two years. And every time, it's been a wave, uh, a surge, let's say, where it's too hard to get out here with flights and, you know, things started closing down every single time. But this time he's definitely coming. He's coming in June. And Martin and I, the conversations we have, I wish they all could be podcasts. That dude is so interesting. Shit, man. The first time I met with him after the show, we hung out until like three in the morning. And then the conversation continued when I dropped him off at his hotel. And like I said, the guy's got so much information. He's a free thinker for sure. And his knowledge on cannabis and cannabis and religion. And I don't know what direction we're going to go, but he talks about cannabis oils being used in uh, church. And, you know, he used to have on his profile that he was a Reiki teacher. So I, I called him. I'm like, are you? And he was like, tell me this whole story. It was a joke, but he is into all the same stuff that we're into, Mark, you know, all metaphysical things. Like I said, cannabis is a strong point of like, he could go on and on and on about the ancient times and how it was used as a sacrament. And the guys traveled the world. So I'm super excited. I was kind of keeping that under wraps, but that's definitely going to happen. We're going to do in studio for that. You know, Sam Tripoli guys, I know we have a lot of crossover fans. Sam is uh, just booked July. I don't think he announced it yet, but Sam will be here at the dojo in July. And you guys, anybody that's and I've met a bunch of listeners that, that, that have said hello at the dojo. They know what happens when Sam comes here. It's like, it's an all out party, three nights, multiple shows. And, you know, we have a lot, a lot of fun. Who knows what happens? Who knows who's going to stop by? Who knows if we're going to have impromptu podcasts and it, it's so much fun. I mean, Mark, remember that's the first time I met you. I was at one of Sam's shows here. Absolutely. Yeah. I've loved it every single time. I mean, it's definitely right. been uh, di different energy each time, but it was it was a lot of fun. And Sam always makes a point to talk to everybody who shows up, which I think is so cool because I would never even be here in this position if he wasn't that gracious with his fans. Because you know, I always talk about this. That's how I got into it. You know, I just went to a Sam Tripoli show, handed him the Kybalion, and that was my you know, sort of metaphysical ticket that I didn't even know could take mm -hmm. me into this world. And, and here I am. And Martin Moreno, that's really cool. He was on episode 80 something of uh, zero Sam oh, no spiritual shit. podcast. Yeah. So I'm definitely familiar with him. I know we've talked about him before, but yeah, I would love to have him on here and anyone else that you have in mind. I'm hoping we, we do some, you know, interviews with folks like you know, who definitely can't make it in the studio, but somebody like Andreas Zerdis or like, you know, an author that like Chris Bennett comes to mind when you start talking about the history of cannabis. This guy, he wrote this book that's behind me actually called Libra 420, the occult history of cannabis and other herbs. Forget the exact title, but it's basically like what you're describing. Martin knows about in book form. Why is it called Libra, Mark? Liber 420. I think Liber, that's just like a Latin word for... Oh, oh I'm sorry. I thought you said Libra. Okay, I got yeah, you. Yeah, no, Liber, Liber. Yeah, like gotcha, Latin. Gotcha. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's funny that you, you're saying about Sam, man, because um, 
in all honesty, that's kind of what happened with me. I'm, I, I don't know if anyone's heard the story before, but for me, it was like, I'm a day one listener of tinfoil hat Been listening from the very, very beginning, pretty much like right when it was launched. I, I think I somehow, I don't even know how I still to this day can't figure out how I found it. I think Sam was on Jason Ellis. I think I heard it. And I'm like, well, this guy's speaking my language. And then I, you know, whatever found them. And uh, it was right around the time when I started the comedy club and I had a booker at that time and I had a booker at that time. And she, she was an interesting woman. And so she would book her shows. And then, you know, I got real into it and every once in a while she would say, Hey, give me a comic that you want me to go get you. You know, I had no access to comedians. I just had the room. I just had the food. I just had the drinks really had nothing. I mean, she even brought her own equipment. I mean, literally that's all it was. Right. And so, you know, in the early days, uh, the very early days, it was Artie Lang, but Artie actually requested to be here. But that was, she considered like one of those shows that I, you know, request show, whatever show. He's like, guilt me that she's not making any money. But anyway, long story short, I said, I threw out Sam Tripoli. I said, I would love to have Sam Tripoli. She's like, I have no idea who he is, whatever. I'll get him for you. But you know, you have to pay for flights and hotels. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. And I even said, I said, you know, and XG just started the show. I said, and tell them we want to bring XG. And they're like, what? I don't even know if XG was doing comedy yet. I'm like, yeah, just have him. So, you know, and I, I believe it's actually, I know it's actually first show they ever traveled for, but the show ended up getting canceled because of an ice storm. The woman, I don't even care. I'll talk about this now for a while. I've always, always like respect to not tell this backstory, but who cares? So this, the, the, she canceled the show. She's like, people will die. Blah, blah, blah. If they have to drive in the ice, we have to cancel. She canceled the show like 48 hours before Sam was about to take his flight. He was a little weirded out. She's show, she won't give me the phone numbers of any of these comedians. She's like, if, I, if I'm talking to a comedian, she would get so pissed off. Like, what are they saying here? They give you no, she was so worried that I was going to book, you know, behind her back. And I kind of get it now, but she was way too overly crazy about this. So she started saying something about like the way he was texting or something. I'm like, this doesn't sound like, I mean, I don't know the guy, but just listening to him doesn't sound like that kind of asshole. And she let me look at the phone for some reason. And I saw the way she was talking to him. And I was like, are you kidding me? Why are you speaking to this guy? Like, like I really, really am a fan of his. Like, why are you talking to him this way? And she was being a real asshole. So she wouldn't give me his number. She called on, she called him on three-way. And I told her a while ago, like, tell him I have a black, black belt in conspiracies. And this is the time that I did not tell people I was into conspiracies. I kept, like, very few people knew I was into conspiracies. It was a very, I always say I was in the closet of conspiracies. Like I didn't let anyone know. And uh, so she calls him on three way. We're discussing about the reschedule and just like how it is now, you know, I talk to Sam almost every day. We just go off on these tangents. Somehow him and I started talking. She didn't even know what the fuck was going on. We were talking about something in the world. I don't remember. And we start going on and on and on. And now Sam requests my phone number from her. She's not going to say no. Right. So then we start talking. I'm pretty sure in the, by time we reschedule, she, I fire her. You know, I was definitely being an asshole. I was like micromanaging her, telling her flyers suck. I'd always get a new flyer made. I tell her you're seating things wrong. I would, I started just totally micromanaging running the show. And she, in, in, in a rage one day said, you know, why don't you just do this yourself? And I said, you know what? You got it. You're right. I'm going to start doing this myself. And uh, that's when, so then Sam comes and he's here for like 10 minutes. And there's also a time that I didn't discuss 9-11. I mean, I have friends I have friends that I know for at that time, you know, 15 years that had no idea about my story. My wife's family, none of them even knew about my story with 9-11. I didn't talk about it. For some reason, Sam's there and I just unload the whole 9-11 story to him. 
And from there, you know, things got more personal. We started talking, we had a lot of similarities and, and, and by the time he left from the weekend, you know, he threw this thing at me. It was like, Hey man, uh, I have this room in Hollywood called the Dojo of Comedy. This place reminds me a lot like it. Would you like to be the East coast version of the Dojo of Comedy? I said, I'd be honored. I hardly ever bothered him. I just got a couple of files, like logos and things, Instagrams started using the logo, would get a couple, he would, he would send me comics here and there, but for the most part, took the idea and ran. And now like six, seven months go by. And like, I started turning this place to a real comedy club. And so he was like, you know, so he would send me out to, he tell me to meet him at California, go to the comedy store, went to go see the dojo out there. And I mean, the rest is kind of history. I mean, uh, also, which, why am I bringing this up is that's the, that's the origin of how the dojo, how I met Sam but then like you're talking about another, so I'm at the, I'm at the comedy store with him. never been on a podcast in my life. He asked me, he, he asked me if I ever did a podcast and I said, yeah, I did. Cause I would talk about doing one with my friends. Actually one of the guys from we, the people radio, we did a podcast. It was so, the shit was so incriminating three friends. We never released it, but it was like three hours. I was talking. We were in a, my friend's barber shop, just talking. And there was just way too much shit. My one buddy was facing some, some, some legal troubles. And he was, I was like, dude, I don't think you should put this out. And really not for me, but more for them. And so that was my one podcast I, I, that Sam remembered. I told him, so we're in Hollywood. We're at the a comedy store, I'm like a fly on the wall. I'm watching everything. And this is when Sam was doing a conspiracy. No, it was called, I know what exactly what you're called. You're in the basement of the comedy. Yeah. Store. It was like, it was like a public access show, but for conspiracies. Show. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? Was it like, conspiracies now or no, that's what it was. Conspiracies now. That's what it Is was. Is that what it was? Yeah, it was okay. like a public his idea was like a pu- a cheap public and that's access. What it, was. Show. it was like a really like they had the plant and everything. Like it looked like you were literally on a local so he's so I, I'm I'm at the comedy store literally all day and night for the whole time I'm there from this like the second Sam would get there until they would literally shut the doors because I'm just observing. So and now it's uh Saturday night. Sam's doing his, his show and he goes, all right, I want you to come watch the podcast. I said, yeah, I would love to. He's like, you know, in Sam fashion, freaking out the guys, whatever, whoever schedules not showing up. He's like, Romanelli, you're going to, you're going to be my guest. And I'm like, what? I'm like, at the time I was still drinking. I'm like half drunk. I'm in the comedy store. I don't get starstruck, but I love comedy and I'm in the world's famous comedy store. Just so I'm a little I'm a little out of my element, let's say, right. Meeting all these people that I, you know, that I want to book and it, it was just, and he's, so he puts me on the spot and it, it's a studio. I mean, there's lights. It's, it's, it's a studio of the pot of the comedy store. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a control room with engineers and I'm like, what the fuck? There's even a little like bunch of like six, seven chairs where people like were sitting and they were all comedians that were just sitting there watching. So he puts me on and I'm like sweating. I remember just looking at my thing. I'm like sweating in the lights and he wanted to talk about nine 11. I was not ready for that. So I, I think I moved it over to project blue beam, but then as the conversation, I'm already nervous. I, I'm realizing, okay, this is, it was way more comedy. I remember looking up at the screen and like it's comics running the control room. They're like zoomed in on my crotch. I'm like, Oh God. Like, that's what my, like my, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I'm like, so worried about, am, am I talking right? Like I had, like I said, I had a couple of drinks at the end of the night. I had no idea I was doing this. So fucking nervous. And then as that's all going on, boom, the door kicks open and Bobby Lee fucking storms the set and gets to a fake fight with Sam. And I'm like, you know, it, you would think it was real. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? But anyway, after we did it, you know, Sam said I did great. 
And then, you know, from there we just developed, you know, a year or so goes by, we develop a really, really tight friendship. And uh, he invites me on tinfoil and invites me on probably before tinfoil he used to, he used to ask me to come on like uh, his Patreon and stuff a lot. When, when same thing, when, when a guest would can't bail on him, he knew I would just jump on. And I never had anything to promote. You know, I didn't even have a fucking Twitter. I didn't even have a Twitter. This is, yeah, that's how it happened. So first I did all those. Then, you know, I, I hooked up Sam and Tommy G and we were going to do this episode. They wanted me on and they're like, you don't even have a Twitter, man. So I had to start a Twitter and they're, you know, I had to kind of, I had, I started to have a podcast at this time because Sam was saying, you got to have something. You're coming on these shows. You got to promote something. So I had like a hang podcast called uh, no carnival parking. And after uh, that episode that I did on tinfoil with Tommy G there's a moment in there when I'm like going to rant, I think about, about conspiracy theories, theorists and fuck that term and explain how the CIA coined that term. And I said, you know, we're, we're free thinkers. And as soon as the episode was over, Sam called me. He's like, you need to start a show called the free thinker society with Mike Romanelli and get, cause my, the other show was very clown. It was very like just a hang all bunch of comics fucking around with each other. The whole point of uh, no carnival is going to be like trying to show people that you don't have to be uh, committed to a nine to five that you can get yourself out of the matrix and kind of having, you know, MMA fighters, skateboarders, all different com- comedians, people that said, fuck it, took the leap. That was supposed to be what it was, but it was during lockdown. I was drinking heavily. Everyone was drinking heavily. It just became like this, like debauchery show, whatever. And Sam was on and he's like, it was a lot of fun, but he kind of, he formed the free thinker society for me. And he was like, you know, I think you have a lot more to give to the world than just getting drunk and have, you know, and I think you should be a little more serious and, and have other free thinkers on. And, and, and that's where that, that this whole thing spawned. And uh, I'm so grateful for Sam. I mean, there's people out there that talk shit on Sam. And obviously I told, I tell him this all the time, like it's going to happen when he gets to the level he's at, right. You have that, you have the small level where it's like your echo chamber when it's just whatever you're following is it's, you know, just your people, right. There's not too much hate listening when it's a small, but then once it gets to a certain level, like if you, I, I always, I know people hate him, but I, I always use Howard Stern because he's kind of the OG of things. But like, if you remember private parts or any of that stuff, like so many of his listeners hated him, but they couldn't stop listening. So, so you have all these people. And I feel like in this, in the, whatever you want to fucking call this truther, free thinker, whatever you want to call what we talk about community, there is so many shit talkers. Right. And there's so many, which goes against everything I stand for. I, I, I think divide and conquer is the, is happening on every level and that's happening into our community. It's crazy because we're trying to all help each other and figure out truth, but it happens in this community as well. And, you know, there, there is some people out there just calling him a shill or whatever, but I don't think most listeners understand how much, what Sam has done for this community, how many people he inspired to, to, there's probably so many great podcasts out there that, or because Sam pulled someone aside and said, Hey, you should start a podcast or had him on his show or whatever it was. I don't think people understand how much that man has given and how many opportunities he's given to people. In fact, there's a couple, there's, I'm, we're not going to talk about too much, but there's a group of people that, that are against him that he really helped get off the ground and it sucks. I think it's a part of life. It's a part of, it just happens in, in all businesses and whatever nature of the beast but people really need to understand that he has helped so many people. And like you said, Mark, when he comes here, he talks to every single fan. I mean, there, every time we do shows here with Sam, we know that we're going to be here till the doors close. I mean, at the 500, 
in Vegas, we were literally in Vegas where things don't even shut down. Like they're cleaning the floors and him and Eddie are still talking to every single, and they're like, finally the owner's like, Hey man, we really got to lock this thing up. And then he moved it. He moved it to like whatever hotel I, I was too tired. I didn't go, but to a lot, I mean, that's just who Sam is. He cares about the swarm. He's as, he's as authentic as they come. I think that's why we're part of the swarm. I think because he only fucks with authentic people. You know, you and I have a real relationship, not just an internet relationship. You're my true friend and we know each other, not just through computer screens and you're an authentic person. You know what I do. I think I, I try to be as, as authentic as possible. Absolutely. Um, well, and I, and, I, I love the, how you're, if I could just jump in real quick, I hope yeah, I'm not yeah, no. taking your point from you, but I love how you, you started this. Cause like we said that, you know, really impromptu, this is season two, episode one and yeah, man, Sam has done so much to inspire so many people and it's definitely worth talking about because if people are listening to the show, there's a good chance they've been inspired too. And, and I'll, I'll say it also kind of connects to what I wanted to talk about concerning the walking tour I gave yesterday, because, you know, around that time, I remember hearing like word of the dojo and then hearing word of like the dojo East. Cause Sam would say stuff mm -hmm. You know, in the beginning of the episodes, I was never one to skip the intros. So I would listen yeah. like devoutly as I was delivering bread and doing all the things I was doing at that time. And I just, yeah, I, I remember signing up on the Patreon and being really encouraged by all of the like-minded people that were there. And slowly but surely, my opportunity came around. And, and yeah, one thing led to another. And the first conversation I had with Sam on his Patreon show was about skull and bones. But before mm -hmm. I get into the whole skull and bones thing, I want to, you know, point out that like, you know, a lot of people that hate listen, you know, and I was one of those people and to some degree, I mean, there are shows and I think we've talked about this that I disliked and I would listen to them and, and, and be upset with one host and like another host. And, you know, I realize like now being a podcaster, and after that, like transitioned from just being a regular average dude listening to a podcast to now having like a podcast that's miraculously successful. And I'm talking to people like Sam and yourself who are in the business of entertainment, you know, which is so cool for me. It's like, I, I always stress this point for the person listening. Like we're not patting ourselves on the back just so you can like hear an autobiography of what's happened to us. It's like, take the little like gleam the lessons from what Mike just shared, what I just shared and understand that these things can happen to you in your life, the listener, you know, it might not manifest in the way that, you know, Oh, it, it did for Mike or I, but it will manifest in a way where you'll look back and you'll say, wow, I'm really grateful. I learned that because it changed my life. It's just about applying. And I think what happens with the shit talkers is, you know, they're, they're so focused outside of themselves that, you know, they never really settle what's going on inside that they need to really focus on. You know, it's like judge Sam says this a lot. Ju don't judge your insides by other people's outsides. And I think that's, yeah. you know, the shit talking thing is just a product of, of going a really, really long time without judging yourself. I think a lot of people have gone through points in their life, especially guys, you know, when you're growing up, teenager, 
you don't want to be scrutinized. You want to like go with the go with the group. You end up doing things that you probably end up regretting in some cases, you know, because you're yeah. trying to impress others or, or, you know, your ego is basically what I'm talking about. Yeah. Ego, you know, and you I know think it. we're past that, you know, and, and that's an important thing. I think for people who listen to the show is like, you know, it's not about ego. It's about the lesson you can learn uh, and how to overcome that. That's what I want to say. I, I want to say I, I, by any means, I'm not, trying to brag about this. I'm just explaining yeah. how, how I, I do want people to realize that, you know, I've done a lot of things in my life and I mean, you have and whatever, but you gotta, things happen that you're like, you look back, you're like, what the, f this is crazy. How did this happen? And I hope people get inspired by the stories I tell them and, and these conversations, because I'll tell you what, one way nothing will ever happen is if you don't, if you do nothing. If you take, if you just have, there's so many people have so many ideas, but they don't take that first step. So it's very easy to criticize people when you're not doing something and just sit back. But once someone puts something out there, whether it's, doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be content. It could be anything. It could be a piece of art. It could be uh, for, you know, I'm a chef. It could be a, a dish, whatever. And you put it out there and then, you know, you're vulnerable once you put something out there because people can critique it, but none of these None of this magic will happen unless you, unless you take that step. And once you do, and like you were saying before, Mark, it, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to all of a sudden, you know, work for Sam or whatever, but you don't ever know how the universe is going to unfold things for you. You know, it's, 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 I, in my, in my experience, it's not always exactly what you want. Like I never would have thought in a million years that I, the, the dojo and Sam and all that, I just want to talk to this guy about conspiracies because at that time, there wasn't many besides Alex Jones, let's say a couple people out there. There wasn't many, I guess there was some, right? You have the higher side chats and stuff. There were, there were things out there, but I, I just connected with a lot of what he was saying, get the same uh, delivery and everything. So I just want to have a conversation with him. I never in a million years, it was never a plan. Same thing you know? with me, man. I, it just happened, right? Yeah. And, 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 yeah. And I don't think that you ever know what the universe is going to give you. You know, it, it, it's not always like, it's not like it's some, you know, like you put it down, like I, I used to do all those vision boards when I was a kid. And yeah, I mean, you, you try to shoot some goals, but however, it, it, things come in weird ways. And there is tons of, of SOAR members that hit me up all the time that are starting podcasts or, 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 you know, maybe took a heroic dose, which I'm a little bit leery on how we we don't want to ever encourage that. that. That's, that's, that's something people have to decide on, on their own. Yes. You know, this show does not yeah, endorse hero doses. <laughs> yeah. But some people heard a story. Maybe I said, and they did something and they beat an addiction or whatever it is. But my point is like, I feel like a lot of the content we're putting out there, hopefully inspires people to get outside of themselves, to do a little bit of something and, and try it out. I mean, to be perfectly honest, you know, this, I'm a pain in the ass. It's hard to get me, to commit to do the podcast. I want to do it because every time I say I'm going to quit, it could be one or two messages I get of somebody saying, please don't you help me with this. Or I really enjoy this. And then that's all I need is like one or two people will tell me that I'm like, all right, I got to do it for them. I can't let them down since I've done it. So many cool opportunities have happened, right? So many things have opened up. I've met, I've met a lot of great people. I've learned a lot. And I just think I'm not saying that everyone needs to have a podcast. And that's a part of a, a big part of the reason why I don't, Sometimes I don't want to do it. So I feel like everyone has a podcast. What the hell am I going to say? You know, I'm like, oh, everyone's doing this. And I uh, obviously don't do it for the money. But I do, at the end of the day, man, I really, like I said, if I inspire someone, it's amazing. If someone 
one message I get. If I get one message, somebody was happy with the show. It means a lot to me. But also I have great conversations with all these different people. Like it's so cool. I get to talk to people all over the world. You've, you've got so many great guests for me. I've had listeners on, you know, listeners have hit me up with a cool story. And I said, all right, have you, they've never done a podcast. Who cares? Let's just record the conversation. And it's just so much fun, man. And, and, and that's, I hope, I just really hope it could inspire people. You know, I, I have to say like everything I've done, like the comedy club and this and everything is work. You know, it's some, some of this stuff looks like it's super easy and I'm sure it's not as hard as manual labor, but you got to put the work in to get any kind of reward, you know? And, Oh yeah. I mean, even the podcast is like, you know, we spend however much time talking, but then there's almost double that time that goes into publishing the episode from editing Absolutely. to finding music to chopping stuff Absolutely. out that maybe like little, like, I don't know, burp or hiccup or, or ums and things like that. You know, like I, I go really out of my way to, to put quality, content out there because as a listener of a show for you know listener of many different shows for many different years i kind of had you know a taste that developed like this is what i like as a podcast listener so i try to create that standard but yeah man i've totally you do a agree. great job though too mark Thank you, you really you your your attention to detail and podcasts are it's it's right there Thank you know you. i don't have much time to listen to many podcasts anymore i used to have the way my job used to be, I was driving a lot. So I was always listening to the podcast. Now I'm kind of just stuck at the dojo all the time. So it's, it's hard to listen to podcasts as much, but I do check in with you every once in a while, see what you're doing and the quality man of your, you know, I know you had that vision from when I first talked to you about what you wanted and what you're doing, your show. It's, it's, you could tell that you put so much effort into all your shows and everything you put out. Plus also, I mean, not to not to be too much of a you know love fest here or whatever. Not to bore people, but even what you're doing, all all media united. I mean, Thank you're you. really you, you're putting in the work, man. That's another thing that you're also doing. You're helping other podcasters connect, and it's really cool, man. It's really it's really great. I mean, a lot of a lot of content out there that people are are lap you know really enjoying is because of, your, of a lot of your hard work, and it's really awesome, man. Thank it's you. great to see you uh, grow and and to see what where you've come from when I first met you to now. I don't, Super. I don't think you're boring at all. I think like, like I said earlier, I think people who like the show and, and like, you know, what we do are going to want to hear these stories and, and take the inspiration from it. And you're absolutely right about the plan thing. It's like when Sam had me on his Patreon, I was just stoked to talk to him and, and I had things that I had experienced, you know, albeit they were, you know, pretty minor, but a lot of research and, and strange experiences kind of culminated to me being like, yeah, I got to talk to Sam about this. He'll think this is cool. And mm -hmm. he did. And he had me back on a couple more times. And then eventually Rockfin gave him the deal with, with zero and he needed guests for that. And he had me on as the yep. third guest. And then he asked me like, Hey, who do you think I should have on the show. And I sent him a list of people. I'm like, you should get all these people on. And I even like went and got some of their emails and stuff. You know, I just went out of my way. Not cause I, I thought Sam would, you know, pay me to do anything just cause I thought like, if Sam has these guests on, it would be great. Like I would just love to yeah. hear that, you know, and that ended up evolving into me working for him. And it's really just so awesome. Cause when I was a delivery guy making, you know, I was I wasn't doing bad as a Amazon delivery guy but before that as a bakery delivery guy I was making 
barely enough to, to get by still living with my parents and really just, you know, feeling like feeling like I, I wasn't sure what to do with myself. And it's interesting because when I was in college, you know, you, you think that college is the place where you're going to find your career and whatnot. And it's interesting, like, you know how when you're you're like, I don't know, maybe it's different where you grew up, but had this like impression of like like when you're a kid your world is so small like it's really just like yep. your neighborhood and maybe like some places that you go frequently and i remember like every now and then we would go to new haven and it's it's only a couple miles away from the town i grew up in but i remember feeling like this dark energy there and i remember i remember not liking sports and we would go to like the yale bowl I remember going to the Yale Bowl a couple times to see like this college football game with my mom and and my uncle and whatnot. I just remember not really feeling good and it just made me not interested in sports. And, uh, and then as I was older, I had a scooter, I was smoking pot. I was riding my, I was like 16 ripping this, like, did I just freeze on you? I, that's a, that's a gnarly face for me to freeze on. Did you see that? My video just cut <laughs> out. That was weird. Anyway, well, I still hear you, kid. Okay. <laughs> you, you see me now? Yeah, yeah, I see you. You're not frozen. I no. just saw your uh, avatar came up for a second. Yeah, I froze. My the, my facial expression was really <laughs> wicked. I was like, what the of heck? Of course. That's the only way you'll freeze, right? It's the only way. Yeah, weird timing. But, yeah, so as I was, you know, exploring – when I had my some freedom as a young adult, I remember being really like fascinated with New Haven and and going there. And I ended up taking some school, you know, courses at at the community college there. But I really just spent a lot more time on the green and the contrast mm-hmm. between Yale University and the surroundings, the poverty. It's just like it was shocking, you know. Like, yeah. and I'm sure that the same is true for a lot of different cities, you know, the homeless people that could be shocking to someone who maybe grew up in a town where there's only a couple homeless people, you know, here and there mm-hmm. holding signs next to the grocery store or whatever. But, you know, I go to this place where they're, they're just everywhere and they're always asking you for money. So you're just getting into conversations with these people. And as a young mm-hmm. person, I was just very sympathetic and I wanted to hear them out and I wanted to understand and it became mm-hmm. became kind of a fascination, but it also became like a risk too, because there's a lot of unsavory, oh, yeah. untrustworthy people that want to, you know, take advantage of a young, naive person. So I was yeah. able to kind of avoid a lot of that, just being tall and kind of maybe seeming formidable to someone who might yeah. take advantage of a young person, which gave me like you're a pretty big, yeah, you're a pretty big guy. So yeah. it might be. So I had a little bit of bravery from that and uh, and that just kind of, you know, bled into me kind of feeling a little more free in New Haven and in between classes I would go and smoke weed at the at the green at the park and just hang out on a bench and read a book and one day I ran into this guy who came up to me cuz he noticed a, a shirt I was wearing and uh it had sitting bull on it my shirt and he's like this short black hair, red skin, you know, like clearly not from around here looking Native American guy. And I'm like, what's up, man? You know, start talking to him. And he tells me he's from Arizona. He starts telling me 
you know, you know, about whatever this and that. And we kind of got like that moment that you had with Sam Tripoli, where you realize like yeah. this person's also has a belt in conspiracy may not have been, I may not have been a black belt back then, but I had a belt in conspiracy theory yeah. at that age. And so did he. So we just start, you know, chopping it up and, you know, he knows a lot more than I do. So he starts telling me about skull and bones and how, you know, this secret society right around the corner from us, that's been going on for almost 200 years. Now they're, 200th anniversaries in 10 years, you know, I start learning about this and I'm getting really creeped out because this guy, you know, like I said, he's not just any old dude from around here. He came from Arizona. That was obvious just the, by the way he now, was he there because of what I think I know where you're going to go. Was he there because of what was happening in Yale with, yeah. is that where he decided because of the whole Geronimo? Right. So, so, why Amos went to prison, I don't know. He never told me. It didn't seem mm -hmm. like it was anything that was threatening to me or anyone else, but no. I, I, I can never be sure. But the story is that he told me is that, you know, he ended up feeling like he had to right some of his wrongs. And how he was going to do that was by connecting with his ancestor Geronimo in this way. And he didn't really understand quite how. And I didn't understand synchronicity quite yet. But I think that's exactly what drew him to New Haven was just the synchronicity. Like he heard the story, he had the opportunity, and he just went. And then, you know, obviously fresh out of prison, didn't have a lot of opportunities. So he was living homeless, you know, praying and, and basically, you know, trying to connect with this spirit, Geronimo, and, and settle, you know, his spirit. Because I'm sure you know this. <laughs> Yeah, let's say let's let's let the listeners know. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm sure you know this, but when someone is disinterred from their grave, <laughs> their soul is very disturbed, according to well, at least Native up, American let's explain cultures. Explain what happened to Stolen Bones and right. Geronimo. Oh yeah, I was getting there. Don't worry. Okay, so, I'm sorry. No, that's all right. <laughs> so when we have these restless spirits, you know, run, running around the tomb because their skull and femur bones <laughs> have been taken from their grave, it makes you wonder, like. What? Why are these people doing this? What's the point, right? So mm -hmm. then I go and look it up, and you're absolutely right. You can even find it on Geronimo's Wikipedia page, even though it's kind of edited to make you cast some doubt on it. But they tell you straight up, Prescott Bush allegedly took this skull and crossbones from Geronimo's grave, and uh, I believe it. You know, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll let that allegedly. Go, but yeah, allegedly that's been a legend <laughs> for a very long time. Right. And there's there's been several different groups of people who have tried to approach Yale to get it back. And I think even they had the audacity to say, okay, we'll give it back to you. And instead they give this group of Native Americans a glass case with a child's skull in it. As if A, they'd be foolish enough to take that and B, you know, where the hell are they getting a child's skull? Why do they have it in a glass yeah. case? Well, they just happen to have, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't disturb disturb anyone. Oh, I'll huh? get you one of these real quick. We have some of these. Oh god. Yeah, just a souvenir. But you know, there's been more recently someone who tried to take up some you know legal efforts to get the skull back while George Bush was president, which I'm sure didn't help much because George. Bush is a member of Skull and Bones, both the father yeah. and son. 
1928, the army. Grandfather, right? Yep. Grandfather, son, and grandson. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, in 1928, I shouldn't have left this out. The U.S. Army just, you know, coincidentally built a cement memorial over Geronimo's grave and basically made it impossible for anyone to go and determine whether or not this had actually happened. So, you know, I I think that (laughs) all of that being said, you know, there's a pretty good case to be made that they do have this, they have this skull in the tomb. They also are said to have uh, Martin Van Buren's skull. And just through some digging, I was able to find an article in a newspaper from the 1800s in Utah. There's also another one that corroborates in Arizona. And there's another one that corroborates in Oklahoma, where they talk about a story of Chicago businessmen who are on a hunting trip down in Arizona. I believe it's either Arizona or Texas. I could be wrong. And they end up running across this wanted outlaw, the Apache kid, you know, that's what everybody knew this guy as he was like a horse thief and just a bad dude that, you know, was giving the settlers of the West a lot of problems. I'm sure the native Americans probably saw him in a different light, but anyways, this, these Chicago businessmen were, you know, just happened to run across him and they thought, Oh, here's a good opportunity to, you know, catch a bounty and, you know, kill this guy and get a couple bucks, maybe get a trophy, whatever. So they, yep. they shoot him. They like surround his encampment and, and shoot him and then throw a blanket over his body. And this is all in the newspaper article. They throw a blanket over his body and they come back a month later and they take his skull and his femur bones. And where do they send it? To Yale University, Skull and Bone Society. <laughs> so, you wow. know, we have we have evidence in the record that this kind of thing's happened. Not to mention there's a story of a guy named Henry Phelps Stokes, who was in Egypt, who sent a uh, sarcophagus with a newly found mummy who they called Ra. I don't I couldn't find anything to corroborate past that, but they spell it R H A. And they sent this sarcophagus with a mummy in it to skull and bones as well. So there's all kinds of weird evidence to show. And I'm sure they have plenty more. There's also a skull that, yeah, well, there was a skull that was auctioned in Europe for $20,000. It was part of this collection of memorabilia from skull and bones. And they had taken the skull and basically like, cut a patch off the top and put a, like a hinge so they could use it as a vote ballot box for their fraternity. That's great. Right. So with the initials Thor carved in or the word Thor carved into one of the femurs, nonetheless, which that probably connects to uh, their nicknames because they do give each other nicknames. George HW Bush was known as Gog and George W Bush was known as Magog, which are, pretty obscure references from the Bible compared to like Odin and some of the other like more commonly given names. So it is curious there, but as far as like their rituals and whatnot, there's a lot that's been said about like what they do with these skulls from drinking out of them to, you know, maybe just, you know, using them as like a sort of, you know, just a, a prop, like I said, with the ballot box thing or to spook people or fright, frighten people. But you know, 
you know, but, yeah, who knows? Could he be darker than that? Could be dark magic. And that's who that's and that's where I really go. And I I don't have anything to prove it other than what Amos yeah. has has told me. But um, I definitely think that there's some some bad embrays and skull and bones, and they're doing can, some dark arts stuff with the skulls. Can you share any of what Amos like? Any of the things that he he told you about? about any of this stuff like what was his what was like what was his main purpose like what was he trying to achieve just trying to pray trying to maybe get it back what was he like what was his what was he trying to do in that area to redeem himself or you know well you know it's interesting because Amos was kind of like he was kind of like a liked guy among like the people that frequented the green so I'm sure he could have gathered up a group of homeless people and busted in and taken whatever they wanted from there at some point. But I don't think Amos will ever do anything like that, nor did he ever say he he would do anything like that, although he did say he could. And basically when I asked him that same question, you know, would you just go and take it back? Why don't you? He said, well, I don't need to because that's not really what the goal is. The goal is to... Paraphrasing here, but his goal was to connect with the spirit, you know, connect with Geronimo, bring it peace, you know, pray for his his return. And I think through that act, he magnetically attracted me into the equation, you know, somebody who that seed would be planted in, and then I would go out of my way to research this stuff. And like ever since then, there have been so many different things that have connected all these dots from understanding shamanism to understanding the magic of ley lines and the mounds and and obviously all the occult aspects of secret societies and how they work espionage i mean skull and bones in particular is very much a military operation you know the the founders were inspired by uh, a professor in germany who i guess they had spent a semester in germany at the University of Berlin, and they learned about this ideology known as Hegelianism. And for those who have never heard of this Professor Hegel, his name is spelled H-E-G-E-L, and you can look him up. He would have been comfortable, he would have been in a comfortable position in Nazi Germany, just as comfortable as he would have been in you know communist Russia or communist China, because this guy believed that the state was the absolute power, right? nothing nothing was more powerful than the state and that's where political philosophy should you know society should be geared towards the state being the almighty power and you see that happening unfolding now and i'm sure skull and bones is just a myriad of the influences leading us towards this equation but i think it's important to understand that you know you have all these really keyed in people these people of prominence their families. Some of the most powerful people, right? Are Absolutely. Involved. Well, like and if you go on the list, it's some most some of the most powerful pe- Americans, right? And even just Yale itself, like these, the you know, selection for Skull and Bones is very, very minimal compared to the amount of people that go through Yale every year. Yeah. It's only fifteen people that get into Skull and Bones, but these people end up becoming professors, presidents of colleges. You know, Daniel E. Gilman, Skull and Bones, was uh, the first president of john hopkins university one of the you know he's got a very high uh 
reputation down there in Baltimore, right? They also have some weird connections that I know my buddy Michael Wan is getting into, but anyways, that's a different conversation. Yeah. They they get their their men and 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 now women too. They've been recruiting women since I think the 90s, but they get anyone them in, we know of <laughs> I I mean like anyone that we wouldn't like any women that are in power now, like, I don't know. I'm just throwing out like, I don't know why she's coming to like Condoleezza, Condoleezza Rice or one of those kind of important military women. Well, no, not off, oh, not off the top of my head, but you know, to name a few, I have a list right here. We have Henry Luce, the founder of publish uh, and publisher of time life fortune and sports illustrated magazine. We have some CIA agents. We have, the founder of Morgan Stanley, the founder of FedEx, chairman of Barack Obama's Council of Economic Advisors, the founder of Blackstone Group, a group that Sam's been talking a lot about they lately. They own everything. You know, they own everything. Yeah. I mean, Washington University's first chancellor in St. Louis. We have Pan American World Airways founder and CEO, the president of the New York Central Railroad System. I mean, they've got people in, in high places. But yeah, what they do behind closed doors is still a mystery. But, you know, part of what I did yesterday was being that it was 322, a a number that's significant Mm -hmm. to their group. I decided to get a group of people together for a free walking tour. And we brought this comic book along with us. It's a comic book called Geronimo's Grave that was published by this comic book group called Paranoid American. Are you familiar with them? This guy, Thomas Gorentz, maybe. I think we, we have some, we have some uh, in the office that, right. that somebody brought I, here. I brought right? those to you. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. we got to get him on the show. He's a cool guy, but he, he sent me a bunch of copies of this and I gave them out to everybody who showed up and we left a few like, you know, places that we'd walk by, but it was a really windy day yesterday. So I I didn't want to leave them as much as I could have. I was planning on putting them everywhere, but it was so windy that I just, I didn't want to like litter the streets with them. Maybe that would have been a good thing, but, but we ended up walking past, you know, the building, the tomb on high street and all the way down the street. And I just kind of pointed out all the different occult symbols that you can see along the building. You know, one thing, for people who have never been to this place, you know, it's not your typical universities. All the buildings are pretty old, and there's just a amazing amount of symbols and figures and animals that you can just see on the building. You know, they're carved in. Some of them are actually like statues on top of you know different points of the building. It's just endless. You can spend you know every time I go to New Haven, I see a new you know, new weird little thing on the, on a building. So it was a fun tour. We unfortunately Amos had something go down at his house. He wasn't able to, to join us, but, but I think that just adds to his legend. So it was yeah, a fun I mean, time. That sounds so cool, Mark. I, I love that idea. I'd love to actually do that with you. What I was going to say is that once your eyes are open, right? It's pretty crazy how, when you go to these like historical places, how you just see the symbolism everywhere. It, it reminded me of, I went to Radio City Music Hall a couple of years to see Nine Inch Nails. And my buddy worked at a bar or something where he knew how to like get through, I guess it's like 30 Rock, right? He went through 30 Rock. I guess that's where I guess SNL and stuff is filmed. And he is the so far from into any conspiracies. He thinks I'm nuts. And 
the images. I'm like, dude, like the images that were on the wall and the things I was finding, I'm like, come on, why are they just here? Like, why would this stuff just be here? I mean, I'm talking about dark, dark stuff. I wish I had a better idea of what, I mean, really dark images just through this building everywhere. Mm-hmm. In one of the most famous areas in New York city. Well, it's Rockefeller um, Plaza owned by the Rockefellers who yeah, are definitely yeah, connected yeah. to the, they've had plenty of, of their yeah. names in, in the bones books. It's just nuts, man. Once your eyes are open, you see the symbolism everywhere. And it's like, okay, so like in universities, in churches, right? Wherever you, I don't understand how people just walk by that stuff and just don't look at it. To me, it's just, it's odd. Like, like people, I guess people have blinders on. So like people are probably in that university, thousands of people every day and just walk by it and don't notice I mean, I, I bet you it's changing now because people are waking up a little more, but it, it, it blows my mind. When I, it reminds me also when I went to go visit Sam in Hollywood, like uh, every time I go there, I just, there's, you just see stuff. You're like, what the fuck? Like, there's like uh, wherever he would put me up, wherever I would stay when I go out there, I was right by Sunset Strip. There's just like the Anunnaki, the Anunnaki looking, I don't know what, I, I can't remember the name of the, that being holding that satchel. It's just like right there. It's in a famous area in Hollywood. I'm like, mm. nobody talks about this. Nobody says, why is that alien bird-like creature? Bro, get this. So what's funny is I was reading an old article about Skull and Bones, and they mentioned that mm. you know most of the candidates that made it into Skull and Bones this year were from the East Coast, but two were from... Los Angeles. And it was around the time when Hollywood was really getting going. So, but what's more interesting about what the Anunnaki thing is Yale university where their current art museum is used to be a row of fraternity houses. And it's sort of, it's exactly next to the tomb, their famous, you know, secret society building. So they used to have their house right next door, but they sold the property to Yale and Yale built this huge art museum and connected it across the street with this bridge to the old art museum, just perfectly to obstruct the Yale, you know, skull and bones tomb, which is on a one way street, by the way. So, and basically it takes you nowhere. Like it's like nobody would ever go down this road. So they, they kind of, I don't know what the intention was there, but what's interesting is where their fraternity houses used to be now sits one of those Anunnaki relief carvings. One of those huge, I mean, I've seen the same thing. They have two, they have two of them in the Yale art museum and they're like, you know, they have like what looks like wristwatches on and they have like these big hats that kind of look like fish and these big long beards. And yeah, they're like Anunnaki. They're said to be gods and they're they're like supposed to be that height, actually. And, and you know, it's so like what does the normal person say? Like, oh, it's just a piece of art that just happened to be here for 100, 200 years. Like, I don't Nobody questions it. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, <laughs> it's it, the thing is, it's like with Skull and Bones in particularly they've taken the context out of education for people. It became a dumbed down form of education and skull and bones actually is a part of this. I mean, you could see it in who, who is a part of it and what they went on to do in life in the realms of education. education Oh yeah. Changing education into like more indoctrination. Well, they took, they took a, a technique that was used to teach deaf people how to read and applied it to early learning, which 
you'd think like, oh, okay, huh, how does it, what, how does that make sense? Well, what you're doing is you're taking the context out of language, right? Like, I'm sure you, you have kids, you're familiar with these types of books. It's like really simple picture books. And it's like, this is a dog. This is a cat. Like say words we call it. Yeah. Well, they didn't used to teach kids with that kind of shit. That, that was a, that was something that they innovated thinking it would make people, you know, or under the guise that it would make people smarter. They used to teach kids to read just by reading, just by reading and using their imagination and what they've done with this sort of speak, see and speak technique is, you know, lowered the threshold for early childhood learning and they implemented that all over the country and i'm sure they've done other things i mean now a lot of parents talk about this common core program so i'm sure it's evolved and manifested in different ways but in the early uh 20th century and late 19th century right the late 1800s they started implementing this type of tactic uh, that was developed in connecticut by a man who was only intending on helping deaf people learn how to read because that's a part of reading. It's an auditory thing. We are verbal creatures, you know. That's mm-hmm. why podcasting is so important because we're remembering things from our oral history. We're connecting with that side of ourselves that sits around the fire, you know. Like that's the older agree, man. older way, you know, this this new way of reading things. It's like a new technology of consciousness, you know, it, and we still haven't evolved to be advanced with our use of that tool. It's pretty amazing. And it's pretty, it's pretty amazing how this, this form of, of whatever you want to call it, art, whatever, entertainment, how it's so popular. And if you think about with everything they tell you that humans don't like, you know, we don't have attention spans. They tell us anymore, you know, everything needs to be, you know, shiny. And, 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 you know, it's like, when I'm trying to do ads for Instagram and stuff for the club. It's like, it's got the amount, it's like four seconds. You got to capture their attention. It's like so crazy. Meanwhile, podcasts are, have never been more popular. You know, it's like, you're so right, man. That oral tradition, the, the campfire talks, the, the, it, it, it's, it's another thing. I think that's just getting away from whoever's trying to dumb down society. I think the podcast thing totally got away from them because now anybody can do what we're doing and people are, are eating it up. You know, people aren't watching TV anymore. A, a lot of the things that were forced fed, people are kind of ditching and they are going to this. And it is pretty interesting that it's just like a, a something built inside of us that we've been doing since the beginning of time. Right. Is, right. is, I'm sure, you know, who knows, but I'm sure there was a lot of stories being told or like, even like, you know, the, they, they talk about radio, you know, people will listen to the radio and hear stories and all that stuff. And it's, it's so interesting that as much as technology is, is how crazy it's getting. And I think VR and all that stuff is going to be the next, you know, obviously it's, I don't need to be a genius to say that, but that the next, it's going to be the next big wave, right. Is where you're plugged into things. But yet this simple the simple technology of just recording conversations with a lot of just regular people. Like you see a lot of these celebrity podcasts don't do the numbers of just regular people just having conversations. And I think it's an amazing thing. And uh, you're definitely right about that, man. Let me show you some of the stuff that I took yeah, pictures yeah, yeah. of. Yeah, let's look at, yeah. Oh, so man. I'm sharing the screen for you. Let me just make sure I'm also sharing it for the people on oh my God. video. Yeah, they should be able to see this. Okay, cool. So, this one is weird. It's right above the law building. This is like my favorite one. As you see the owl, the Minerva owl, uh-huh. you see the spiders weaving this web around this guy who clearly like his foot is like the, he's using his foot as like a bookmark. 
he's drinking, you know, clearly school is stressing him out and you have this like web weaving around him, you know, but then right, right in like, in this area, you see this little like thing on his lapel, a rose, right? I don't know. That's an esoteric symbol. Maybe that means something, but yeah. Mm There's owls everywhere. Like, owls are everywhere. Of course they are. There's another owl. And a lot of people go and say that that's Moloch, but I've also heard it interpreted as a Minerva. And some people say Moloch is actually like a bull. Um, like what the... You um, see that? Like Mithra. What? Hold on. Go back real quick. You see that? That looks almost like Aztec. Oh, you want to see here. Aztec? Check this out. Oh, yeah, but you see that. Hold on. Go back. You see that? No. This one? No, there's this one. Yeah. Now look down. See that? You see that Aztec looking face or creature right in the, yeah, put your cursor over left. Yeah, right there. Look at that. That looks like an Aztec. Huh. Yeah, I didn't see that. That's interesting. Could just. That was just totally, I think that's just kind of hidden in there. Well, it could be because if you look over here, we have all the different languages. Oh my God, man. This is like. There's the Aztec. The fact that, yeah, there you go. There it is even more. Right. So they, they were already aware. It's not like they, you know, couldn't have thought of that because they they did it right there. So, yeah, I wouldn't put you past them to have done that there, too. But you see, like, in front of the library, they have all these different languages being written. Has anyone translated any of this? I, that's why I took the pictures. I hadn't had the chance to do it yet here we have a, wow, a swastika that's, that's right there, huh? we have this like griffin being we have like what sam might call abraxas right here the chicken snake yep. god and this is all on, on their library which used to be Absolutely. the library that constructed so i'm glad you asked because this was all uh these pictures were all taken from their library right and mm-hmm. that was built where all of the secret society tombs used to be. So they destroyed a four or five of the secret society tombs that were less known and less financially able to make it through the, the depression in the 1920s. And, you know, they turned it in the, that space into where this library sits, which is interesting because now you have all these occult symbols on it. And all over the city, you have names of you have names like Geronimo is a is a restaurant, right? We have El Dorado is the name of a building. El Dorado was not just a city of gold, but it was the name of a legendary mythical Native American chief. So there's you know all this Native American symbolism, and then you know on the library, all they give them for their written language is freaking. It's not even anything close. It's like, you know, what we saw people making Mm -hmm. in Stone Age times in France, which is like, you know, these kind of ancient animals here. And it's just, that just goes to show like the colonial attitude of Yale, because some of the things that Amos told me that I'd, are just too gruesome to talk about here, you know. There were real crimes committed when Yale was starting off, as far as the Native Americans were concerned. The whole colony, you know, the whole colony from Connecticut to Massachusetts, all the way up to Maine, down to Virginia, Florida, all the rest. There was all sorts of battles, and not all of it was, you know, uh, the victim. I'm not trying to 
portray like Native Americans as a victim altogether. They certainly were on a global sense. But uh, in a lot of cases, there were some that got along to get along. There were some that turned against other Native Americans and sided with the Mm -hmm. British or the French. So it's not like a yay or nay situation, but you can see the contempt. Because when this was built, when these were built, the West still wasn't completely settled. So there was a lot of racism at that time against Native Americans saying, like, they're not Christianized, they're not intelligent, they can't, you know. So this is the type of mentality that went into, you know, depicting what's really truthfully a great culture and just kind of giving them, like, a Stone Age, like, they're just Stone Age people. It's It's interesting that they did that because then they must have more respect for, like, the, the, the Mexican because if you see the Aztec stuff, well, or and I'm that's interesting. It, Aztec, it, it is Mayan. It could be something else, but you know. Oh yes. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is the Spanish were more influenced, influential in that area, and although the Spanish yeah. were equally brutal, they did. You know, in some cases, the Dominican friars did a good job of like preserving this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it gave them, you know, more credit. But I think you know, New England, for instance, a lot of the really interesting pieces of man-made stoneworks have been dismissed as, you know, either just geological accidents or, you know, made by some previous culture that, that maybe was like European. And it's just like, you know, it's very insulting because I think the Native Americans could have built all of these stone structures and more. And it makes sense when you look at the Tartaria stuff because you see, you know, people looking at these buildings and saying, no, these are much older. And the colonists came and just took them Whoa, over. What is that underneath the owl? Yeah, you just had it. What is going on there? So that comes is from some kind of beast that, with them. It's like, what is it? Some they're suckling off of it. Is that what's <laughs> going on down there? Yeah, that's that comes from the story of the origins of Rome. Rome was said to have been founded by Romulus and Remus, and they were wild children who were abandoned by their parents and suckled on the teat of a wolf, and that's how they became the great leaders that founded Rome. So there's sort of like a myth in in the western culture of rome and and yale is a very western institution i mean you see that kind of western racism that you know i just commented on with depicting them as the native americans as stone age people we have yeah like a little bit more of a a more sensible portrayal of the aztec culture but you know, the Mayans and even the people in South America were not treated with the same respect, I'm sure. But then oh, yeah. we have the Minerva owl over again. We have this sort of dragon right there. And this is yeah, a library. It's more like a Braxis, I would say, to me. Mm, this one right here? Or Quetzalcoatl, kind of. Quetzalcoatl, possibly. Right. Well, I mean, all of these cultures that are shown here have stories of dragons. So, yeah, it could be. Yeah, could be any one of them. But. True. Yeah, yeah, it could be. It could be. I mean, that looks. I mean, I know that the the swastika originally, you know, was an Indian, right? But that just straight up looks like Nazi. <laughs> well, and keep in mind, this was built prior to World War II, I, I believe. So yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I don't know if maybe some of the more woke groups in the past forty years have tried to get that off of there. I'm sure they will one day, but. Uh, because Yale has that reputation now in some respect. But like I said, like everywhere you look, you see this kind of symbolism. And right here, you kind of see like these guys sneaking around. And from where I was standing, taking this picture, 
was right along the road that leads from Skull and Bones to the cemetery. So, like, you know, mm. these guys are moving in that direction back and forth, kind of like sneaking from one way to another. And what that symbolizes to me is like the grave robbing aspect yeah. of this time, you know. There's yeah. some of the folks that came and joined us, but there's me. And yeah, that was the tour. It was a lot of fun. Wow, man. Hey, are we on Patreon right now? Patreon? What do you mean? Are you are we live? Yeah, we're we're recording. No, I just thought I saw some comments. Like, are we people watching live right now? No. Oh, okay. That's probably something else on your screen then. Oh no, I that's Telegram. Like, that's Telegram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, you mean to mess up the conversation? No, that's all I just, right. Uh, I saw like I was like, oh, is someone commenting on something? I was trying to read something. Yeah. Um, that that's wild, man. So these are about two hundred years old. Those buildings. Right. That's it's also a little amazing that they were able to create that. You know. Agreed. Right. I mean. I mean that's uh. The symbolism is out of control. I would love to see that in person. Yeah, no, I and that's I'm glad you say that because that's kind of what the the plan was is to do sort of this tour maybe more often. In a couple months, I'll probably do it again, probably in May because that's when they do their like tapping ceremony. So that'd be cool to to do it on like the same day that they do their thing. That's kind of why I did the 322 thing. It's like while they commit their crimes in the light of day or in you know in the cloak of darkness will bring awareness to it in the light of day you know like we don't need to commit any crimes like they do all we do is walk around their area and talk about what they do and make our peace and peace out you know we ended up you know having some food at a restaurant nearby before we left and it was a good time so if there's anybody listening i know you got a bunch of people in new jersey that probably listen to this so if there's anybody yeah. listening that's local, you know, just keep your eyes on the show. I'll definitely announce it on the show and this show, of course, when I have another one planned. But yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. And every time I look into this subject, I learn something new, like the Apache Kid story I told you about. I hadn't known that mm-hmm. until I went on the newspaper archives and just just used the keyword Skull and Bone Society. And I found hundreds of articles, hundreds of newspapers. So really, yeah, it was great. It is there, do you get any lore history from just hanging around that area or is it just a, is that a kept quiet type thing? Like we don't talk about that. You know, it, that's a great question, man. It's, it's funny. I I've been a fly on the wall in a lot of situations in my life. So I am sort of the type of person that's, yeah, been able to gleam a lot. I mean, Amos obviously is the biggest one. He had a lot of information to share and he's yeah. definitely, you know, the same type of dude who probably spent some time picking up information from other people. But, you know, it's interesting. Other than Amos and everything he's told me, no. I've I've learned things about George W. Bush, like where he used to hang out and his reputation that he had when he was at Yale. And mm-hmm. that was mostly because he was president for the time yeah, when I was a teenager, you know, so that he was just like the talk of the town. And he was, he was like... Pretty hated. Yeah. Well, there's this bar that I like to go into every now and then that he used to frequent. And apparently he was uh, the type of dude to do lines of coke in the bathroom. And there's a whole like story about that. And uh, yeah, so that's really, you know, all outside of that kind of stuff. No, I have seen people that make me think twice. And I have actually seen somebody 
walk into the Skull and Bones tomb. They're wearing salmon shorts and a freaking Martha's Vineyard sweatshirt. Oh, yeah, so, of course they were. So, dude. you know, they're, they're, they're like the most yeah. harmless person around. Yeah, yeah, right. of course. So, of course. you know, they, they definitely have that kind of, there's still a little bit of a fraternity college thing going on. But those guys, you know, whatever they do there, it uh, motivates them later on in life because, yeah, more often than not, you see these dudes going on to be in high positions, owning companies, heads of institutions, politic, you know, politics up, you know, from presidents to senators, you, know, you name it, yeah. ambassadors. So, Mark, would some, so something like uh, Skull and Bones, like, and then you got the Bohemian Grove. Is it like the Grove is like all these other secret societies? That's kind of like where they all kind of join, join forces together at the mm. like Bohemian Grove. Is that a separate secret society or is that more of a hangout? Well, there definitely there definitely is like a a sort of graph you can draw some overlapping lines where you'd see the connections. As far as yeah. direct connections to Skull and Bones, I wouldn't say I know for sure, but yeah, okay, here we go. So so Anthony Sutton and you know a lot of my research comes from him cuz he wrote the book about Skull and Bones is pretty great has plethora of information if anyone's curious definitely pick it up dive further is published by trine day i've had the owner of trine day on my podcast he's a great dude so anyways right here on this chart which i'll sh hold up and show you you probably won't be able to read it but that outside yes. circle wow. there that mm -hmm. outside circle the six points that connect to the outside circle are the council on foreign relations the Bilderberg, the Trilateral Commission, Pilgrim Society, Bohemian Club, and the Atlantic Council. And then within that, you have an outer circle, an inner circle, and an inner core. And Anthony Sutton suggests that the order is basically that inner core, right? Skull and Bones, those guys become the inner core of all of these groups because it's just the nature of being in politics mm -hmm. being in society you join these groups especially it was way more fashionable in the 1800s but you know nowadays it's it's definitely more economically focused people are doing it for their career opportunities and yeah mm -hmm. i think i think what it is it's like people are already going to do this type of thing and the skull and bones guys are like the group within the group within the group. So yeah, they're a part of the Bohemian club. They're a part of the Bilderberg and I'm sure they're, they're even more. Yeah. They're like the, they're like the cool kids at the Bohemian club, you know, like the, when they come through, like they, like they're, they're a click within that, you know, that's kind of, I don't want to say they're the cool kids. Cause I, I don't think they're cool at all. They're, fucking dorks but if you ask me yeah. but you get what i mean yeah. within that group they're 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 you know they're big shots so they're yeah big shots. I, I don't think it's exclusive i don't know may i'm sure they have competition amongst each other but i think you know david ike i recently spoke to him on my podcast and he he Did put, you? yeah it was awesome man yeah, you had david ike on yeah yeah it was great and he he, he makes the point that like you know, when you really nail these people down, you can fit them all in a room and there's 8 billion of us, you know, there's only a couple hundred of them, you know, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I think those people even compete with each other for these positions, Absolutely. but, but there's Absolutely. a sort of, you know, honor among thieves and a sort of organization among thieves. And I think they, they have like a culture within a culture and it's just so privileged that, 
it becomes incestuous and they don't want to let anybody else in. And so I, anything that operates that way is inherently doomed. And that's why, you know, again, back to the point of, well, why don't you just break in and take this skull back? We don't need to, you know, karma will mm-hmm. take care of their crimes. And this is a part of it. You know, the more they try to keep things in the dark, the more the universe will make the workers of light, the people on behalf of light, you know, all the more powerful and all the more ready to equalize that negative force. I think that's something that they can never, they can never ever defeat is, is the light, you know, and that's why they, they make all of their sort of rituals in darkness. I mean, I even found newspaper articles of obituaries where they talk about skull and bones members who show up to funerals and over and over and over again, they talk about how the skull and bones guys leave a sickle and a bale of, of wheat or whatever the term is like a shaft of wheat, which are Saturnian symbols. You know, these guys call each themselves the brotherhood of death. This thing is all about death. It's all about, it's all about killing their former self and making them, you know, basically a Manchurian candidate, a very, very rewarded Manchurian candidate for the new world order. You know, they go in, they kill their former self and they graduate from Yale as a patriarch of the skull and bones with their own secret nickname. They can be the Knight of Gog or the Knight of Magog, uh, what, what have you. I'm sure they've all had, you know, their fun with a myriad of stupid names, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, they're just playing with, something that you and I both have come to understand through our, you know, encounters with, uh, with psychedelics. I think, you know, I think it's a secret society that doesn't use psychedelics. They use dark arts, (laughs) you know, they use fear to, to cause that psychological gizm and make the, and also exclusivity and all the rewards that come with the privilege but they become robots. Sure there's you a lot know? of blackmail involved. Oh, sure yeah. Every single person is blackmailed in there. Well, and that's the hijinks know? I was referring to before. Because a lot of people talk about like, oh, they get naked and they lay in a tomb and confess all their secrets. I don't think we would know about that if that was if that was the most important ritual they do. I think they do that, but I don't think that's the most important ritual they do. I was in a, yeah. a fraternity. It was like a very disorganized animal house style college fraternity. <laughs> And I wasn't even a student at that college and just, I can never picture you being a fraternity. (laughs) Well, yeah, it was, it was definitely out of character, but I, I had a lot of like-minded friends who were there and we all smoked weed together. But just from my experience with that fraternity, I can imagine, you know, there's probably, you know, dozens of things that they put these kids through within that senior year, you know? So, Oh yeah. And that's, yeah. The things that the jock fraternities that we know about what they do. And that's, but that's the distinction though. It's like, whereas a fraternity like the one I was in is geared towards four years, you know? So you go through like all of the hazing and then you become a cool big shot and then you haze somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're out of there, which I I wasn't really a part of anything like that. We didn't do a lot of that, but skull Mm -hmm. and bones is 
only for seniors. So you get accepted when you're a junior, when you're about oh. to go to your senior year, and then you're only a part of it when you're a senior, which makes a lot of sense if you wanted to keep something secret. I mean, you, you know, by the time they know everything that happens, they're out of there and they're on to the, the real world and yeah. they're, they're getting the all the world perks world. of... Big boy positions. Yeah. yeah, we're getting all the perks of being in the cool guy club or whatever you want to call it. And, and yeah, so I think it's really like it operates in secrecy because of that factor. And I think because of that as well, well, they probably don't get into the hijinks that other fraternities get into. Maybe that one where they confess their secrets naked, but I think that's probably like one of the minor things that they were like, well, yeah. we'll just tell them about this if we have to tell them about anything because they're going to want to know secrets. I mean, everybody who goes to Yale knows about Skull and Bones, and they all want to know the secrets, and they all spread rumors, and I think that the way to get ahead of those rumors is by putting out a fallacious lie like that, or, or even a little bit of truth that, you know, gives people just well, enough, course. you know? Yeah. Just enough. Just like everything, right? It's just, just enough to I turn mean, a, turn a senior chick on and get you laid. That's all. <laughs> that's I mean, that's really what it is. You're talking about people in the world. They definitely understand disinformation and how to keep that, you know, right. How to keep that. But right, they're, but they're young world. men too. Like you got to Like they're also young men, you know. So like we were all that age. Like it's it, it's interesting. We talk about that these skull and bones people. What after what they've done with their lives, but like the people who are a part of it now, who will be accepted this May this year, they're they're just young dudes. Like you know they they could turn around and fucking be the first whistleblower. They could turn around and yeah. In my opinion, that's like turn. the most dangerous person in the world is about that like a 20 to 23 oh, yeah. year old man oh yeah you know there's also a lot of potential for someone to change their life drastically albeit when you get to that sort of position you're already a certain type of person i'd imagine you know yeah i think you've probably seen a lot i mean if you're selected you said only 15 a year that person's probably gone i mean we only speculate but you know from what we've been told and what we think we know of these families for the most part, what they go through. And, you know, it's probably, they've probably been around the block a couple of times. I don't think anything's pretty new to them. Well, a lot of the families that are a part of it are like the East coast establishment, like the old, yeah. old East coast families. I have a, a list right here. I could, yeah, we have the Whitney family, Perkins, Phelps, Bundy, Lord Rockefeller, the Harriman yeah. family, Wirehauser, Sloan, Pillsbury, Davison, Payne, Gilman, Wadsworth, Taft, Stimson. I mean, I'm sure that rung a bell depending on if you live in an area where one of these families is because you know how, how that time period was, especially being East Coast guys. Like you'll be driving through some small random town and it's like, oh, this was the estate of Thomas A. Oh, Wait, yeah. you know, and it's just like some yeah. huge out of proportion to the rest of the area Victorian looking building or whatever, you know. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. those are the types of people that get involved with this thing. Absolutely. Old money money yeah wow. it's uh it's so interesting man it really is so interesting it's also kind of terrifying in a way i like what you were saying what david ike was saying about how in a way i just think we're, we're people are just so scared and don't realize the power the power we have i feel like that's a big thing that they hide that that's one of the big secrets that that some of these people know is that like, they know the true potential of just every person and how we're all the same hmm. you know Right. I, and uh, I feel like that's a, a big mystery that probably ancient cultures probably had a better understanding of, you know, I think that they probably, they probably have some kind of secret. Like they, they have to know that the regular man 
is, you know, like, you know, what I'm getting at like, like, like there's just more, I always just feel like there's more to us than we're told. And we're definitely more special than we want to think or what we're told, you know, not just little worker bees. And I feel like if anyone's got that, that, that knowledge, it's going to be in, in their libraries, just like kind of like the Vatican libraries, like those kind of places, man. I wish, I just wish I could just like check out what kind of books and what kind of information they got behind those closed doors. Like what type of stuff do they have? You know, like I, the, um, it blows my mind thinking about what they, like the knowledge that those, those people have. It's got to be. I mean, it could be also nothing. It could be the Wizard of Oz. It could be literally absolutely nothing, and they just pretend, and, and they know nothing. It could be that. Well, the, I doubt the, that with the Vatican. The, the, myth the, Vatican of, the myth of Yale was like these four or ten colonial fathers who were like, you know, well-respected in Connecticut at that time in the early like days of the colony. This was like, you know, 1600s, early 1600s. They came together and they each donated as many books as they could for this college that would become a great, you know, thing for the empire or whatever. They weren't even really even Americans at this point. They were Mm -hmm. like still thinking they were part of England when they created Yale. Yeah. So that's important to keep in mind. And also New Haven itself was its own separate colony for a lot of um, the early history until the Connecticut colony came and absorbed them. But the New Haven colony had settlements as far south as Philadelphia. So they were connected to to Philadelphia too. But, But yeah, I mean, to your question earlier about like, what have you like picked up just from being in New Haven? So much, man. It's like really hard to nail it all down. I think it'll become something that, that I maybe, you know, not that I've done any original research, but who knows, maybe I'll write a book about just like the synchromistic aspects of how I've learned what I've learned about skull and bones and try to really piece it all together in an organized way and, and give a theory that I don't think anyone's ever posed before about them because there are other secret societies within Yale and there are other secret societies in the world, but you know, Mm -hmm. there aren't as many (laughs) that have had the impact that skull and bones have had. And I think new Haven and the Connecticut uh, area has something to contribute to that equation somehow. And that's really where I would come in. You know, I'm not going to go and like try to do any digging or sleuthing on who, who's who in skull and bones now, but as yeah. far as like the energy of New Haven and how it all came together this way, I think there's a story to be told for sure. You said it has a heavy, it has a heavy energy. Absolutely. And, and it's all, it's totally tied into the native American culture and how the colony superseded them as the spiritual inheritors of the landscape energy. Do you know if there's any significant ley lines or mounds in the Yale area? Oh, yeah. So the the empire ley line goes all the way from the Mexican pyramids where people were sacrificed up through uh, the Gulf of Mexico, through a major city in the Florida panhandle, then through somewhere in Georgia, and then it goes through Washington, D.C., it goes mm-hmm. through Philadelphia, it goes through New York City, and then it goes to New, New Haven, Connecticut, and up through to Boston. So, yeah, there's this, like, empire <laughs> ley line that Peter Shampoo has drawn across the, the map, and he, he supposes that it has something to do with the 
pyramids, you know, the sacrifices that they did at the pyramids. And there are rumors about people that, you know, go missing in New Haven, like homeless people. And, you know, like I said, with the grave robbing thing, Yale being a medical institution, they have always needed cadavers. I was just going to say that. Even when it was was illegal, you know. I was just going to say, you know, those, those, God, who knows what type of experiments they're, they're running on homeless people. You know, that's, that's been, that's been something talked about in all these Ivy league schools, right? Mm. That, that homeless people, especially have gone missing orphans. Well, yeah. I mean, you think about all the welfare, like that this, you know, these sort of more liberal institutions give like the cities that they happen to be in. Yeah. I mean, New Haven, Yale is not the only I'm sure Harvard is even more guilty yeah. of something like that, you know, with their reputation. But even mm-hmm. Harvard, I mean, Braintree, Massachusetts was founded by a guy who I think ended up having a son who entered, ended up being in Skull and Bones and their whole family was in Skull and Bones. And there's a weird connection to Braintree, Massachusetts that Chris Knowles was like wary about. I don't know if you make made your way up to this part of the East Coast much, but yeah, Braintree's weird. <laughs> well, what does he think? What does Chris Knowles think about what's going on over there? Well, Chris Knowles definitely I'd let him tell his own story, but you know, when he grew up, he grew up in that area, and his mom, oh, he did okay, yeah, his mother was like a uh, entertainer; she was like a singer, and so mm-hmm. he was very familiar with like the nightclub scene, and yeah, he he said some things that I don't even couldn't regurgitate just because I don't remember it no, in no, detail yeah. enough to do it justice. But yeah, he basically gave me the impression that there was some like mafia, secret intelligence, secret society, cult type of influence there. You just brought Chris's name. That's another guy I would love to have. And he's pretty local. Yeah. 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 He's been to the dojo before, right? Yeah. That's cool, yeah. man. Yeah. We definitely love would to love, to love to talk to him in studio. That's a, that guy is Talk about when I first used to listen to podcasts. You, he, he was uh, uh, definitely higher side chats. Right, a few times in the oh, early yeah. days, for oh, sure. Yeah. Where I heard about him, yeah, uh, that was pretty cool when he came to the dojo. Yeah, Mark, this has been awesome, man. I feel like this is the direction of where we are headed. I love it. I have some comedian friends that are, that might join us every once in a while just to chop it up as well. And yeah, man, this is awesome, Mark. I'm so appreciative of uh, everything you've done, everything you do to help me. Anybody who likes this show. <laughs> got to thank Mark because he's always in my ear saying we got to get going and happy. We finally did it and we'll get on a roll and at least get you guys at least one episode a week from here on out. Yeah, man, Mark, once again, thank you. And I want to thank everybody that listens for, for still tuning in. We got a really good year planned and it's going to be uh, really, really exciting. Uh, Mark, you got anything cool. else? No, dude, Maybe I love it. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. I thought this was a great way to kick off season two, talking about our initiation into the Sam Tripoli podcasting world and then <laughs> yeah. talking about the secret society that is Skull and Bones. And the Patreon used to be called the Secret Societies of the Mad, of the Mad Hatters. That's uh, something for all the OG Swarm members. They remember that. Yeah. That's what Sam used to call the Patreon. And I thought that was fascinating because... In Connecticut, there's a connection to the Mad Hatter, but that's a story for a different day. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. This is going to be fun. I expect to have many more awesome conversations with you, Mike, as well as whoever else we bring along with us. So, yeah, first of many for season two. I'm sure this is going to be a hit. Oh, yeah. Guys, thank you so much. Check out the Dojo of Comedy uh, schedules. Uh, we got some amazing shows coming up. You can check it out, tiffscomedy.com, or the Dojo of Comedy East is our Instagram 
like I said, guys, uh, Sam Tripoli, we haven't promoted it yet, but it's in July. It's up on the website. Tickets are already going without any promotion. Sam has not mentioned it yet. So you don't want to miss that. And tons of other shows. If you ever come by and you're a listener, just, just ask for me or say hello. I love meeting you guys. I know there's a bunch of uh, listeners that come hang out at the dojo. Just say hi if I'm not too crazy busy and I'll still find time to say hello because I love uh, seeing you guys. Thanks so much and we'll see you next week. 